Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Uh, we're going to be speaking just a second with Asham Aluwalia. And he's the director of Miss Lovely. Let's tell you a little bit about that. Delving deep into the underbelly of the India's film industry, where back alley producers churn out everything from pulpy horror fit movies to softcore porn, Miss Lovely takes us back to Mumbai in the 1980s with lurid, <coughs> excuse me, with lurid detail and intoxicating style. It, it really does. Uh, and we're joined today by the director of this wonderful film called Miss Lovely. That would be Ashim. Aluwalia, uh, Ashim, right. Ashim, welcome to film school. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here, and congratulations on on your film, Miss Lovely. Um, I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of a background. This is a film that uh, premiered, am I correct? It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Correct? Yeah, that's right. And it was in the in the uh, section of the Cannes Film Festival that's called uns, uh, regards uh, uncertain. I'm saying this wrong. How do you say it? Yeah, with certain regard. Yeah, yeah. it's a sort of like uh, first, you know, it's it's a section for first films, but yeah, it's part of the official competition. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good uh, place for it to premiere. I think. Well, the reason I bring that up is because the the films that tend to be in that category are films that are challenging, a little bit out of the ordinary in terms of the storyline and approach, and yeah. and I think your film right. fits very well into that category. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the core of the story here and how you kind of came to this story. Tell us a little bit about Miss Lovely. <clears throat> well, the thing is, I actually went to film school in the States. I went to a place upstate New York called um, Bar College, which is quite an experimental uh, film school, you know. And I, when I went back to India, I was quite, um, you know, I, that was where I was born. I was born in, in Mumbai, in Bombay, what was then known as Bombay. Um, I went back and I was really caught uh, sort of in this very strange spot because I didn't know, I wasn't interested in making Bollywood films. I wasn't interested in making, um, you know, typically mainstream uh, romantic comedies, stuff like that. I was actually quite interested in creating independent film scene and there really wasn't anything uh, like that at the time when I went back, which is the early 2000s. Um, and and I, what I did was I, I kind of chanced upon uh, a movie poster, like a really cheap, sleazy movie poster that I saw on the street, and, and that was for what the, what's called the C-grade films. These are sort of illegal sex films that were made um, throughout the 80s, and actually I saw some of these as a boy when I was growing up, you know, because we didn't have access to any other way of seeing a naked woman on screen. You'd have to go to a movie theater to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just thought this would be a really interesting... Um, space to get into and I, I plan to make a documentary so I spent a year and a half trying to make a documentary on this on this scene and I went backstage I mean behind the scenes I spent a lot of time with uh, with the actors and directors of the of these kinds of films um, but the, the, the really depressing thing was that after a year and a half nobody wanted to be uh, in my documentary just simply because uh, it's illegal, and people would say, "There's no way I'm going to tell you what I told you last night when we were drunk because uh, I go to jail for three years." You know, and that's when I started realizing how serious this was in a conservative climate like India to make sex films that were, you know, done um, pretty much in one-hour hotels but shot on celluloid. Um, and I thought, okay, this is crazy. This is amazing material. This needs to become fiction someday. So, I mean, eventually, I made it. Uh, I turned it into a fiction screenplay just because I couldn't access these people on camera. Nobody would want to talk on camera. Um, 
because it was so illegal. So that's kind of how the genesis of where this came from. And, and, and as a result, I became the kind of only guy that knew anything about this world because I'd spent so much time in it. Uh, Ashim, is this one of those uh, circumstances that you often see in societies around the world? It's not just uh, in India, uh, where these things are kind of hiding in plain sight, where the authorities are obviously aware that these films are being screened. It can't be a couldn't have been a big secret that they were being seen by people, but they don't. They either, for whatever reason, choose not to do anything until something something triggers them to to move on it was that the case back then were they sort of hiding in plain sight with these with these films yeah well actually how it worked and this actually happened in the u.s and the states and in the 40s and 50s as well yeah. basically how it worked is they would make a movie like a semi-legitimate well legitimate as in a really cheap trashy horror or bandit picture but I would not, the film that they would make would not have the pornographic reels in it. The mm. pornographic reels were, were sort of kept aside, and the film, the main film, would be sent to the censors. So that looked very legit. Mm. What would happen is the pornographic reels that are called bits reels in the Indian industry would get, re, you know, they would get sli- spliced back in in the projection booth. Gotcha. So, the, the po- so the pornographic stuff was sort of illegal, but the film was quasi-legal, if I that makes you. any sense. No, you know? I, so yeah. you could have posters up, because definitely that, that pornogra- the pornographic reels don't exist. So yeah, I mean, it was in collusion, obviously, with the police who were you know, on the tape. They were making money off it. You know, everybody was making money off it, and that's how it kind of existed. But the film sort of had two lives, you know. It had one life as a kind of horror movie, and then it, <laughs> but the real reason for its existence was to be able to intersperse these pornographic reels back in. Got you. There's some great characters in this. Obviously, the central characters of Vicky and Sanu are the brothers who are caught up in this world of making the reels. Uh, they're making the movies with, yeah. the, with the pornographic yeah. uh, part of it. Uh, and and the, the, un- the sort of world that they are forced to, uh, to deal with. I really, one of the things, the strengths of Miss Lovely, watching it, was uh, how effectively you pulled me in as a, a viewer into that world. Uh, I would say the first half hour, 40 minutes of this film, you are immersed in a world of all kinds of characters floating in and out, and you feel very kind of, you feel like you're in this world watching uh, that part of the film for sure. Um, tell, that, that was a, a wonderful accomplishment for me because it's a world I knew nothing about and I, I felt very much in it while I was watching Miss Lovely. Um, that You obviously worked hard to really, to sort of cultivate that, that look. Um, were, were there... Yeah, I think, you know, I think that what you're saying, like this immersive thing, you know, I think sometimes we forget how immersive, um, you know, films can be. We, we, I, I believe that sometimes there's just too much focus on the plot element, on the story element that are just, you know, driving the thing along. And yeah, of course, story is important, but... For me, somewhere, this film really wasn't just about the story. It was about that atmosphere. It was about the texture of those rooms and the dampness and the humidity and the claustrophobia. And from, you know, to say, oh, you know, and often this does happen with Miss Lovely. It's very easy to want it to play out like a typical thriller or a noir film or something. You want it to just, you know, give you those, those resolutions. You want, it to, you want to have a very strong focus on the single character. But the film doesn't really work like that. I, I never designed it to. I want it to be more like, you know, the way you read a novel. Like you just kind of digress off into tangents yeah. and you come back to the main story and you just float through this universe. I really wanted that kind of experience for the viewer, not like a, 
oh, this brother did that to that brother, and this is then what happened, and 10 minutes in, that happens. You know, I, I really wasn't that concerned whether somebody would lose the plot and then come back to it. That wasn't the concern. And I think I'm very happy that you say that it was immersive, because for me, that's the real success of the film, that how do you bring someone back, and somebody in another part of the world, you know, like 30 years later, yeah. how do you bring them to feel what it was like to be there? You know, and I think that to me is, is, is great if you say that that's, that's yeah, and 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 it what in that sort of confusing kind of nebulous, you know, who's who's who? I mean, for a while it takes a little while to kind of figure out who's who in the in in the film, but it it it, it really feeds into this sense of moral ambiguity and 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 I think something that gets overlooked in these situations is the the this drive the striving of people. Relative, I mean, people who are good people in many ways, just to survive, yeah. just to survive, exactly. and and how yeah. this pushes you into realms that you might not normally find yourself in. And I felt that that was really driving a lot of this. Yeah, that's totally true. I think that also the sense of claustrophobia, the sense that when you're trapped, yeah. you're trapped. It could be a day job. It could just be working yeah. in a in a in a coffee shop for like ten years. It doesn't have to be the sea grade industry. It's just. The sense of being entrapped that you cannot get out, it's a maze, and every time you try to get out, you sort of take a right turn and you're back in the same maze again, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of this, this self-enclosed world that doesn't let you escape. And of course, if you're looking for, you know, uh, uplifting entertainment, then definitely Miss Lovely's Law is the place to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but I do believe that, you know, when you make a film, you cannot... You cannot sanitize or sterilize it just because, you know, your your sensibility is not, you know, you find it unpalatable, this, this world. I think the success of a film that brings you into its milieu is that when you leave, you take something of that world with you. You take an awareness, you know, and... Um I I want to talk to you a little bit about the the actors that you got uh, to to play the parts of, of Vicky and Sanu. They were all they were all everyone in it is very very good, in, including uh, the, the the actress who plays Pinky. Um, tell us a little bit about casting these two uh, these two actors as uh, Sanu and and Vicky. Um, Mike, you know the thing is the the film when I was trying to make a documentary, there were so many interesting characters in that world that I really wanted to um, in some ways. Uh, you know, use I, and I and, and even though they didn't want to be in my documentary talking about the industry, when I when I actually started casting Miss Lovely, I went back to a lot of the original C grade producers and uh, actresses and starlets, and what I did was I just essentially cast them in all the secondary roles as themselves. So there's a kind of genuineness that comes from these real people playing themselves. Um, Obviously, the, the main characters, the brothers, are both professional actors. Um, mm -hmm. Vicky was a guy that we discovered doing street theater. He had never done a film. Sonu was a guy who was a real struggler. He had been in the industry for 10 years, never got any work. Um, and actually, so what's funny about Miss Lovely is that the film, when it went to Cannes, just catapulted this guy into, you know, doing Bollywood mainstream films. And now he's like a superstar in India. Um, so it's like a real mix of, of people that were in this film. Well, you know, it, it's just a real, real mix. I, I thought that the, uh, the, and I will not try and, well, I'll try and pronounce uh, Sanu's actual name, Nawazuddin. Nawazuddin, yeah, it's impossible. That's a very hard, <laughs> a very hard name to uh, pronounce. I'm, I'm terrible anyway. And what's and his last name is? Zidiki. Zidiki. Ah, I was going to, okay. Was, and then, of course... Anil George, it plays the part yeah. of Vicky. They, the tension, the the interaction between those two. There was obviously Vicky was the 
more dominant of the of them, more ambitious, more, more yeah. were trying to find that way out of the world that they were living in. And Sanu was yeah. the romantic and the dreamer. Um, they just yeah. played terrifically off of one another. You know, the thing, uh, of what's, what's funny about all those characters is that most of, you know, my background does come from documentaries. Yeah. The, the, Anil, both Anil and Nawaz, uh, these two brothers, at one point were both struggling actors in the same theater company, and they never liked each other. <laughs> they kind of they really kind of hated each other. And when they were cast together, it was funny because they saw each other and they were like, oh my God, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and what was, fu- was, was amazing was they actually really disliked each other the entire time we were shooting. So that, that really kind of distaste for the other person it's quite genuine in the film, and it doesn't need to be spelled out with plot. It just comes through from the body language of the way they interact, you know. So wow. it's a lot of these, these sort of behind-the-scenes real scenarios were kind of used for, for the way these performances happen, you know. Well, that, that's, that's a wonderful, you know, and, it, you know, we have this idea that everyone on, you know, loves one another when they're on, uh, on and screen together because that's often the way that they're portrayed, this affection. But using that creative, that tension creatively, it, can, it really does work really, really well and, um, it, and, and in developing the, the different storylines. And then Pinky and uh, Nahirika Singh uh, is... Nahirika Singh, yeah. Yeah, she plays the part of Pinky and she, boy, what a beautiful uh, woman and also a very, very good actress in this film as well. She is kind of the uh, the illusion of uh, of art in, to me. She just embodied all that they were trying to do in different ways. Vicky, for his own purposes, and Sanu, for his purposes. She seemed to right. fill that vo- uh, that void very effectively in the t- story. Yeah, well, she's also like, a, what I like about her is, you know, some people miss the point. They say, oh, she's not a developed character. But the whole point is that she's not a developed character. You don't know her. She's just this enigma. She comes in. She seems like she's she's come from a small town, and Sony Sony feels the need to protect her. And and the reality is that she's got many pasts. You don't really know. She seems like she might be you know working as an escort or doing other things. And it's just she's a blank slate. You can project anything you want onto her. And that's what makes her so kind of interesting for me as a character. Is that she's remains kind of somebody whose background you don't know. And that's really how it is in the industry. There are a lot of people you just don't know. They give you a name, you realize that that's not their real name. They made it up and they tell you, oh, I just came to Bombay last week. And you realize, oh, they've been here 10 years actually. So this this whole idea that you don't know the world that you operate in, that's also partly the relationship the audience has to it. You know, yes. you don't know, you're figuring it out. And I think the irony of that is she, you see in her what you want to see in her. And exactly. and they do the brothers seeing her what they want to see in her and does the as well as the audience I, I you know seeing her I wanted to see her as the innocent you know right. as the someone who yeah. I you had me well, I'm not going to give any more away but there, yeah right. so uh, really exactly. just a wonderful film and I want to also acknowledge the fact that uh, the reviews have been just absolutely terrific uh, for this film uh, just wonderfully well received that must feel good uh, to to be able to go to con and then to come out of it with such uh, international acclaim, really, for your film, and congratulations on that. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, you know, I, it's, I think it's a very, it's really one of those films, like, you take from it what you give to it. So every time, you know, I have a review where the reviewer is either confused about something or, or they love something or they don't love something, I really see their their viewing habits yeah. more than the film itself. It's just a film about filmmaking, so... There's so much you can take from it if you want and if you're open to and, it, you know, and, one of those films. And also, the one sort of uh, subtext of this is 
something that we need to be talking more and more about all the time, which is human the trafficking of human beings around the world that's going on, and this is a, sort of a component part of all that. Uh, right. You know, okay. and so so thank you. Uh, we're just about out of time here. Hashim, okay. I, I want so to thank, thank you so much. The, the film is Miss Lovely. It's opening at the Downtown Independent Theater in Los Angeles uh, starting tonight, June 20th. Thank you so much for being here on Film School. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.